So hey everybody, welcome to episode 82 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by my co-host Aaron Vay in Whitby, Ontario. Hi there. And we're also joined by our other co-host in Seattle, Washington, Jaime Lopez. How's it going? And Mark is unfortunately not with us today. And Tammy and Greg are already having fun at RW DevCon. Right on. Well, let's, uh, let's take it from the top here. We've got some follow-up. It says FU, even if it has a question mark. First OS X ransomware. Wow. I read yeah, about this. this. Actually, I use Transmission. So uh, I saw this. and uh, That's a, that's a BitTorrent client that, yeah. that's susceptible to that? Yeah? Okay. Yeah. So apparently what happened is there was a update that happened, and I believe it, there was there's kind of two channels that you have of getting this version of Transmission that was compromised with this malware. Uh, mm-hmm. One way to get it, of course, is if you already have Transmission installed and you get an auto-update notification uh, there's right, an internal yeah. auto update process if you if you up, do it through there then you're fine the version of 2.9.0 of transmission that you got from that source was okay mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if you went to the website to download it uh i'm not comfortable I, I don't know what the details are but apparently the 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 version that was available from the website that you download directly maybe through a cdn or some other mechanism that version was compromised and the malware that was included as part of that package was a sort of time-locked payload of software that would randomize the data on your hard drive mm-hmm. and give you a ransom message that if you do not pay a certain amount of money to a certain per- party, uh, you would not get your data back. Right, right. And so this there- is ransomware. So the reason why I marked it as, as uh, follow-up with a question mark was that I have talked about, and I think we've talked about, you're, you're a fan of Neil Stevenson's writing. I know Aaron, right? Yes. Have you read Reamd? Yes. Yeah, so you're aware that the main plot line in that is that, that uh, ransomware. this virus that was being passed around was, was ransomware and being paid through like sort of a World of Warcraft kind of... That's right. ...with, with a digital currency. But I, I mentioned it on the show like either two episodes or, or whatever ago, and then ironically this thing shows up as right. an actual uh, real-life potential issue for people. That so. is true. And if you're into Neil Stevenson, the book you want is Cryptonomicon. The rest of his mm-hmm. corpus is not as good. Have you, but have you read Reamdy? I thought Reamdy was fairly up to date in terms of its its, its uh, story. It was it was farcical, of course, but yeah. Well, you uh, know, it was fine. But uh, in terms of like, is this a good book or not? Is my oh course, yeah, you know, <laughs> is far and away has a color about that. Yeah. But the the rest of his his corpus, you know, I've not been nearly as impressed with the rest of his stuff as I have been with Cryptonomicon, mm-hmm. including mm-hmm. Reamdy and his most recent one, uh, Seven Eve. Which yeah, I wasn't uh, yeah, thrilled about that. I, I didn't finish it, and I, and I think you you told me you, you you gave me the spoiler, which allowed me to not finish not finish reading it, which I was glad for. So angry, <laughs> so angry that I wrote a blog post about it. So yes, that's right. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my anyway. my other favorite book by him is a, is a nonfiction piece. Well, it's sort of a it's an editorial, if you will. The uh, called in the beginning was the command line. Right, which right. I, I I had to buy. A, I was at MIT in the library, and I figured, I, or in the bookstore, I had to had to buy a book from from Harvard. Right. So I hope I said I hope should, I said uh, Harvard. Right. Links in the show notes. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, they're, they're in our. Uh, I'll, um, yeah, I'll, I'll catch them up. Yeah, that was a long uh, time ago. In before. the beginning, was the command line. Well, you know, if if you happen to be a transmission user, then you might be hoping for the lead to this story. What do I actually do oh. about it? Right? Because yeah, I didn't get to that part. Sure. Um, okay. <laughs> so, well, the, can I can I before, can I interrupt just just one sec? So, what you do it, it only affects <laughs> users of transmission, or any, yes. anybody's using a BitTorrent client? Transmission. Okay, okay. Okay. So it's 2.9.0 of transmission. Now, to to back it up just a little bit, transmission uh, had not been updated in quite some time, like a couple years, right? Um, and uh, worked fine, of course. But it came out recently with this sort of unexpected, unlooked for update, and it was 2.9.0. So far, Ooh. so good. All right. So. Um, when I, I use it on my uh, sort of TV Mac, I call it, and it's the thing that I use to just, you know, collate all my video and push it to my Apple TV via Plex. So I have transmission, it was 2.8 something running for some time and never bothered to update it when 2.9.0 came out, luckily. Hmm. <laughs> and, um, although, as I said earlier, it doesn't matter because it would have done so through auto-update. It's only people who had downloaded directly that had this problem. So yeah. uh, if if you are currently running transmission 2.9.0 that you acquired from the website, uh, it's already too late by the time you're listening to this podcast because the time that it was going to run and scramble your hard drive has already passed. Uh, it oh. was like 2 p.m. Eastern time uh, yesterday or the day before. I think it was Monday uh, this week. That would have been March the 7th. So... Uh, you're already toast, and you'll know about it. But <laughs> for anyone else, you can go ahead and still use transmission again. They fixed their problems. I don't know what the hell happened, and uh, get back to using uh, transmission two nine one, which anybody could acquire either via auto update or download it from their site. Yes, yeah, I'd be fascinated to find out if 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 anybody really suffered from this and followed up and and paid the ransom. I'd be curious to find out if in fact there was somebody at the other end of the line collecting the money. Was <sighs> it? Do, yeah. Do you know any, anything about the details of what they were asking for? How much Other money like you mean? Thirty-five dollars or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Is that how much it was? I didn't. I don't know. That. I'm asking. I just, oh, okay. You just came up with the article. I'm browsing it. I don't see anything like it. There's how to check for it if uh, if you've yeah. been hit by it, but uh, nobody's saying how much they were asking for. What the ransom was. Hmm. Alas. So, uh, if if you were hit by this, I haven't heard about anybody being actually hit by it uh, on the other hand i don't know if i would want to be blabbing about it either It'd be embarrassing oh. <laughs> i don't know i mean you know the, the the rank and file users of computers get you know nicked by this stuff all the time the phishing scams and right severe phishing and that kind of stuff right so right but they would often call someone like us to help them with yeah. it right and then yeah. and then we would tell <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um okay well good luck to anyone out there who's dealing with that do you want to talk about uh, another FU item you have here, Tim, is from your inbox, how much to make an app. Yeah, I, this goes way back this. to episode three, I think, right? Um, what? Yeah, wow. I know. Okay. So, so let me let me give you the background on this on this particular link before we discuss it. So I got an email in my inbox from a gentleman named Dylan something or other who works for Fuel. There's some interesting numbers in there that they've, they've given away. I don't know if you want to look at those, but uh, you know, a, co- a cost of an app would be. It may be a little extreme for some people's budgets, but it sounds more like a marketing kind of like a marketing company or an agency kind of company would charge to build an app. Like I think one hundred one hundred and fifty thousand dollars is sort of yep, the that's entry the number. Level, I think. Yep, that's what yeah. he said. And between so, one hundred fifty, and then he's talking about five hundred to a million. 
So, yeah. buchos, yeah. buckos. But this reminds me, like, when we did talk about this back in episode three, I'm going to guess that we referred to Craig Hockenberry's article on this same topic. And Perhaps, he, yeah. he actually gave the same number. At least oh, really? 100,000, probably more. Because when you're building an app, you're dealing with multiple developers and designers and QA. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you could hire a single developer to do it. And goodness knows, I have been one such. It is a lot of effort. It's tons of time. You're talking about months, typically, yeah, um, yeah. of a single person's effort, at least, at the very minimum, to get something out the door. So mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. that number doesn't it doesn't strike me as a crazy number, but uh, a lot of people cannot pay that. And that's, that's where you kind of get to reality, right? The context that we were talking about back, back in the day was there was a whole bunch of online tools from other companies that had sort of put up these sort of menus of, you know, you want this, you want social networking, you want login, right, you want, right. you know, core data. And they kind of, you cut, you could, your numbers ended up anywhere between five and $15,000, which to me still sounded a bit low. Oh, right? that, that's clearly, way low. That's crazy low. Yeah. So, so that was, and, and those are sort of, it was like, you know, in my opinion, those were kind of like lost leaders to get you to call them up or whatever but i mean this is you know seriously when you when you start talking about building a proper app you know um with you know the whole marketing effort and and qa and production managers and and you know a couple of developers and you know maybe a back-end guy it can add up and, and, and well i mean and so and and jaime and i can both test testify to this that you know we work for companies where there are multiple developers and i'm sure the budgets are quite high right so you know, they, they're they're a lot higher than this. You, know? you don't think so, I can testify to that, Tim? Well, I don't know. I mean, you 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 you're working for a rather large company right now, and and I'm sure that the budget for the app you're building is quite quite high. Right? I, I would probably call it astronomical. Yeah, yeah. We're we're working. I'm working in an astronomical environment, as you know as well, right? So when you when you build something that's going to be used by millions of people, you really have to pay attention to it, and that's what costs the money, right? To make sure that you're all your T's crossed and your I's dotted and so on and so forth. Too true. Mm-hmm. You know what I'd like to hear right now? The dulcet tones of Jaime Lopez Jr. <laughs> this is, a, this is an interesting article. I haven't read 100% through it, but I do remember the conversation we had back in episode three. And funny enough, I've actually used that other link uh, a couple times when folks have asked, like, hey, you know, build an app. It's like, Hold on, it actually costs a fair amount. Like, how much? It's like, look, well, let me just run you through this quick yeah. little app thing. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. the simplest app is five thousand. It's like, yeah, that's what it would take for it to be worth my time at all. And there's all these trade offs I have to make, considering that I have a you know normal full time job. Yeah, exactly. Right. It, it it might be a different thing if I if I didn't right if it was part time or or whatnot. But um, you're doing it for the exposure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pay, paying my bills and exposure, feeding myself with exposure, yeah. taking it to the bank. I've spoken to some some large shops about some some uh, apps that I was asked to quote, and so I you know have, I've spoken to the larger shops, the Martian Crafts and the and the Black Pixels of the world to sort of see what where they sort of sit. And you know I know what we were billing it you know per month back when we were building apps and and where they are, and and the numbers are all sort of in that same sort of range. It adds up very quickly. You know, when you put a number of developers and you put like a guy like Mark Rubin on 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 the on the docket, Doctor Mark it, Rubin, Doctor Mark Rubin has built <sighs> apps with me in the past. Hells and, and yeah, you get, yeah. You know, it's it's you get what you pay for. I mean, you get you know you get really good code really quickly, really well thought out. There's you know it's unquestionably good code. That's yeah. for sure. 
and he needs his mm-hmm. helicopters and yachts and you know he's a busy man yeah yeah so he's yeah. out there right now just making it rain stacks of hundreds and he's just it's like <laughs> what's up too busy for the podcast tonight guys <laughs> making it rain over here yeah. oh well i wish i could be like that i'm, I'm oh, it's a goal really I'm, I'm heading there i'm coming after you mark yeah well, in ambition cool. okay good <laughs> All right, moving on. I'm in a peculiar mood this evening. So, I had going yeah, away. I could heard, not well, be you more heard delighted. From, you heard last week's talk where we, Greg and I were sort of sort of uh, talking about, you know, our change in philosophy in terms of wanting to be indie developers, getting more down to the, the comfort, yes, comfortable side of having yeah. a steady paycheck. And, that was very yeah. interesting. And Tammy had a thing or two to say about that, too, where yeah. she, was, uh, she was not on board with you two on that one so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, mm. yeah. <laughs> you know, I gotta. Um, I'm a, I'm with her on this. I honestly don't. Uh, I don't get that. I, I mean, I, everyone's their own person. You can do whatever you like. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, no. See, the thing is, I, I'm just saying that I I would have a really hard time settling down and buy you know buying into a single company for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And uh, so as I listened to you and and Greg talk, and I was like, I was like pouring one out for you two. You know, metaphorically, <laughs> on the beach, uh-huh. <laughs> sitting on the beach, pouring one out for you. It's kind of sad. Well, you have to take it in context, right? So, no, I don't. You know, I'm I'm the single sole breadwinner of my family, so you yeah, know, I have oh. to I have to basically make sure that I've got all yeah, my my sure. shirts covered, right? So yeah, okay. Am I not in the same boat as the sole breadwinner uh, of of Shave? Exactly, you, I am. You are. You are. But you, but your your decision to work remotely and, and and more power to you. I mean, that's, I think more and more people should be able to work remotely. More power. That's the way it should be going. Most, like I said, most of the team, most of the people on our Ray Window team are are all remote workers too. So, you know, some of us go into offices. There's a number of them, but uh, but a lot of guys are remote. They work out of their houses, and of course, you know, yeah. right? You know, like uh, I wish Greg were here. I because I wanted to ask him <laughs> as he was speaking on the show last week, and yeah. he was talking about. Uh, he said who he was working for, right? So, like, I, I'm pretty sure he did. Yes, he did. Yeah, Facebook. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Because I do now remember the whole part where you asked him what he was going to be working on, and he he didn't know because that's their process. Yes. But I'm curious to know whether he went in there and did some kind of you know program interview type thing of of the stuff that nightmares are made, as we've spoken about in the yeah, past on the yes. show. Yes. He, he. I do. I do recall him telling me some of the stuff that um, he had to do. I don't. I wouldn't necessarily call it nightmarish. It would be nightmarish for you and I, Aaron, but it well, probably wasn't for Greg. Of course, what I mean. Be that as it may. Oh, let me ask you a question, Jaime Lopez Jr., if I may, because you're hiring sure. developers, are you not? That is correct. What kind of gauntlet do you put them through? You inhuman developer monster. You. What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, it's as as close to an actual working environment as it can possibly be. So it's a pair programming environment and it's a test driven environment. So we've got a nice setup, double monitors, double keyboards, double mouse room. We use is nice and and quiet. It's got a window so you can kind of get a little bit of fresh, you know, fresh air if you need to and sunlight when possible and a Mm. whiteboard. So it's sitting through and working through an actual problem. Uh, It's not one that like, you know, we would necessarily need to solve, but it's less artificial than, you know, invert a bee tree while standing upside down and 
<laughs> throwing your voice across the room sort of thing um well, and it's, it's a real col- <laughs> right and it's a real collaborative thing right there are several solutions the spec is sort of you know intentionally vague and so mm-hmm. we we've worked to it together it's like hey look what would we do if if it was this case mm, well let's ignore that case and just know that it's a known issue or let's collapse the problem set down to something that's achievable in this time frame that we have so that's oh, at that's, least sort of like the nice. first cut. Yeah. That's sort of like the like a one hour type thing that I will do with a candidate and sort of figure out you know where we feel about things and then if things go well then yeah. we have a sort of a more extended one where we we test other you know realistic aspects of like let's make you use the actual tools that's you know mm-hmm. we've got access to the internet you want to google something you want to check out something stack overflow by all means that's what we would mm-hmm. actually do or or ask me right Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It seems to work out pretty well. Wow! So it is a very extensive process, then. It's a lot. It's it, it's a lot shorter than than some processes I've been involved with. Uh, I mean, you're talking, you know, probably some sort of easy chat. You know, thirty minutes to an hour. You know, coffee or something. That that's that's before it even gets to me, right? That's sort of our. our you know, my boss, right, the CTO, talking about things and then, you know, getting a, a grasp of where the candidate fits. And that's part of the first part of the funnel. And then you have um, kind of an option, like, you know, if there's a lot of open source code that, or we happen to really know who this candidate is, uh, we might skip the one-hour pairing session. Mm-hmm. Um, but you would still have, let's see, one, two, about three hours of three individual interviews, you know, pairing and one sort of more designing uh, like software design kind of thing like an architecture type bit so that part gets more whiteboard but it's 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 not the right code on a whiteboard it's more like well how would we architect this system to do something how would we design this uh, given some sort of notional spec wild that sounds very interesting (laughs) um I guess my question was like, what happens? I got a, a couple questions. Okay, so first question is, and I think Tim hinted at this as well. Do you pair program in the job? That's correct. Okay, so you're always pair programming with someone. Not always, but I'd oh. say it's you know four to six hours out of an eight-hour day. Wow. Mm. Now, see, I couldn't handle that. I'm out. I'm out. Okay. So my <laughs> second question, my second question is, uh, how? You're still looking? You're actively looking right now? That's correct. And the process and, just started, you know, not too long ago. So we okay. don't have a, a ton of data on things. All right. I was kind of curious to know, like, how, how, how many people you have in that funnel and uh, how many, what percentage kind of makes it through. I was curious oh. to know about that. Oh, that's a good question. I'll, I'll, I'll ask my boss about that because there's, there's only <laughs> <right>. <laughs> the part of the funnel that I see that gets to me, right? So Right, right. I wonder yeah. if, like, 90% of them get splatted against the screen before they even show up in your doorstep. I mean, you you would definitely want that to be as you know close to one to one as possible. Like we we find a person and we hire a person, and they're uh, you know a, a great person to contribute once they actually come on here, and it's a great fit for both them and us. I have in the industry seen magnitudes of you know huge like a traditional funnel where you have a really large number of folks coming in, you know at least potentially. And a very tiny few eking through, and it's a challenge. And I think it's almost kind of like a, an engineering challenge in a way to 
trying to figure out how can you make this process better for the candidates because you you want it to be a you know a good experience first and foremost right like whether you know you shake their hand you send them out the door you never see them again you, you want them to feel like hey you know it, even if it wasn't a good fit for me for whatever reason i still feel like i was respected and i hopefully had fun and enjoyed it mm-hmm. um but you also want to make sure that, like we're you're finding good people and that you're able to retain people so they might be hey this is a fantastic person but you know if if they're not comfortable with um a pair programming environment it's like well that's that's just never going to work for our company right um i was listening to some old hypercritical episodes and john syracuse was talking about a, a very similar topic where if you know what you're going into and I think this had to do with, with office space was the, the context, right? So there's like the old uh, Microsoft style where every developer gets their own private office. And then really, there's the right? flip side where, and, and I don't know if that's still true, right? This was certainly true in the, in the 90s. And nowadays, uh, for cost reasons and, and hypothetically collaborative reasons, LOL. a lot of startups have a, you know, hey, everybody's in an open space. You really just have like an Ikea desk. You don't really have even a cubicle anymore, right? It's gone progressively more mobile and you know some people are comfortable with that and and some people are not but at least if you know what you're going into like hey you know this company everybody is sitting in a big pit and they're working together constantly okay or hey you know i really like working with people but i shouldn't go work at fog creek because i'm going to be in a private office there's just not going to be anybody sitting there next to me to do what i want to do right so it kind of depends on what your your preferred style is, I think. Absolutely. And the, yeah, and, and the interview process we have, I think, hopefully, has done a pretty good job of making sure that people know what they're getting into, right? Like we just we describe to them the fact that hey, like this is going to be a, a pair program environment, and as well as the the interview. And if uh, I think we've probably had a, a couple folks that said, yeah, that's not for me. It's like, well, okay, that's fine. Sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah. no harm, yeah. no foul. If that's not for you, it's not for you, right? We had a Aaron. We had an after after show one evening where because <laughs> we've been, I've been doing a lot of interviewing too, and it's been interesting to sort of take my style of interviewing and and marry it up with what I've been put through myself in the last eighteen months or so. Um, and so Mark and I were and Jaime and I were talking about you know how to how we should prepare stuff and have people phone screen before they they come in to to talk about uh, tech as it were right um, and you know so we have a variety of questions we'll ask them about why they want to join the organization and we'll also go down you know the iOS route and we'll ask them some questions about you know Objective C and I always throw in some Swift because I I you know, I do hope that we you know get to do more and more Swift as we go forward right. Sort of get an idea of where people are comfortable with, and you get a good sense of, of what people are. And then we have we do a code review session where we, we put some code up on the board and or up, sorry on a on a computer, and um, we don't use a whiteboard, but um, we uh, basically go through the code and ask them to tell us describe what they see, right? So, and uh, you know, and you get you get a good sense from people in terms of where how deep their coding goes. Some guys are really poor on the on the verbal questions kind of stuff because they, they, they're not really sure what you're really asking them because you're, you're asking a very loose question. And, but when you put them in front of code, sometimes they, they, you can see things that they couldn't describe in, in verbal terms that they can see in the code that comes out much better. So 
I think the whole process, we've talked about this many times, Javi and I have talked about it on, at length on the fact that the whole way that we interview people in tech, I mean, we as an industry, is broken because we try, you know, because HR kind of wants to have these cookie cutter sort of questions they can ask people. And, um, and it makes it difficult to sort of, you know, weed out the ones who are the good book learners versus the ones who are actually good on their feet, right? So that is all true. That is all true. Okay, Jaime, one more question. Sure. <laughs> now, I am painfully introverted, and so the thought of pair programming really freaks me out. The idea of being on, as it were, sitting beside another developer working on a project. I, I understand the putative benefits of improved productivity when you have someone to continually bounce ideas off of. Uh, so that makes total sense to me. I get that. Uh, as long as you consider these developers to be sort of set pieces that you put in place and not actual people like like me. <laughs> so could you sell me on the idea of pair programming if you are someone like me, introverted and, and losing energy by the minute as I'm sitting beside someone working? Yeah, so I think, uh, well, for one, it would depend on, you know, how extreme that is. And I... I don't know if folks are aware of this, but I am definitely an introverted person where, um, sure, I can go out, I can make a presentation, I can be very salesy. Uh, obviously, I'm here in a podcast, I do all sorts of other things, but, you know, I don't gain energy, uh, unlike some of my extroverted friends, I don't gain energy from the attention or that I gain energy from the group. It actually starts, you know, draining away from me, which is what I'm, I'm hearing from you now, right? So, True. Um, Depending on where that level is, I think it can be sort of a managed thing, right? So as I mentioned, out of an eight-hour day, you're not going to spend all eight hours actually pairing. That's, that's just, for one, a little rough because it, it's kind of a very uh, intense sort of environment, right? There's no real time to like, hey, let me take five minutes here to look at Twitter. Oh, no, there went an hour, right? Um, yeah. You kind of you're kind of on your game a, a lot more, uh, which is where I think some of the productivity comes from for sure. Um, but it's also something that you know even I find somewhat draining. So you, you kind of want to break it up a little bit, right? You want to have uh, I would say no more than a four hour block. Uh, certainly that oh. should be really easy to do because you you started in the morning, you could stop at lunch. Right after lunch, you can stop at the end of the day, um, and and probably also probably having you know natural things like a bio break um uh -huh. after you've been going maybe an hour or two you might want to have a, like a little bit of a coffee break or just stretch and walk around separate go check email or you know twitter or something for five minutes just to kind of refresh your mind step away and then come back to it and do you find that the person that you're pairing with makes a big difference like you got to be able to really trust that person right to sort of not mock your ideas, for example. Uh, <laughs> do you know yes. what I'm getting at here? <laughs> I mean, it has to be a it has to be a safe environment where, you know, if you feel like the other person is judging you constantly, that's that's just not a that's not a productive environment you're going to be in, right? You have to feel like the other person respects you, and you know they may feel like, hey, well, this person is, you know, maybe they have weaknesses in one area, but hey, we we put them through. You know, our cycle of tests, we, we talked to them and we had a really good idea. They had something that they could bring to the table, something unique that we didn't necessarily have. Yeah. And obviously you have to do it in person too, right? That's the big things. It's, it's an on-site activity 
or do you have remote workers that you sort of remote in and pair? So we don't have remote workers. The the focus on being able to very easily collaborate um, means that we're you know in this case looking for folks who will be in the Seattle area for the job. Right? They don't they don't have to have started here, but certainly you know, willing to be here. It's a lot easier. There are things that we do to to make remoting possible, but not on a long-term basis. I'll be like, hey, look, somebody needs to work from home because they have a, deliver, a delivery coming from Ikea, or i got to take care of my kid, or whatever the case may be. Maybe you're sick, for example. You're like, yeah, I'm kind of sick enough to, to not come into the office, but not so sick that I'd actually take a day off sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, then we we use you know remote pairing tools like uh, Screen Hero, something we were using, but I think it is probably going away. So we're probably going to have to find something new. But that one's nice because we'll just connect to each other through the software. We can see the other person's desktop or whatever app that they might have shared. We can hear each other. And the cool thing with that tool is you can like take remote control, right? So you can see the yeah. other person's mouse moving around, and they can. You know, take control and say, hey, well, let me type out this part for you sort of thing. Yeah. Now, no. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Jaime. I just, no. No. <laughs> that's that's double birds as I'm backing away. Double birds. Like I said, it's it's not for everybody, right? If, no. you, if you want one side, as long as we're very straightforward, but like this is what our sort of operating methods are and we're very upfront about it It, again no harm no foul you're right you're absolutely right (sighs) it's awful sounds awful okay (laughs) i hope i haven't offended you hi may i i love you man i hope you know that and uh, i don't want you to feel bad or anything like that i just uh couldn't i don't think i could deal with that i just couldn't are you curious about how the other demographic uh, type codings or coding environments work or what other what who well, because like, you know, there are other ways of doing stuff. I mean, most of the places, most of the shops I visited in, in my time and the one I work in now is, you know, some some cases it's like a, a boardroom with, you know, eight or six or eight developers crammed in and they're all working on a pro- particular project or... But they are working independently, know, right? Yeah, they're, yeah. Well, they're like literally sitting right next to each other. That would freak me out, to be honest with you, Aaron. But Yeah, um, yeah, ditto. You know, so in, in, in the, uh, you know, we have in our... At the bank, we have um, hoteling, basically, desks, right? So yeah. every desk is, you know, emptied at the end of the day, sort of the- theoretically, and you have your, your Mac and you have, your, you know, you have a, a monitor you can plug into, um, and you kind of you kind of just sort of arrive at a space and you take it over, and, uh, you know, sometimes you're somebody sitting in your space and you have to go find another one. But generally speaking, the developers who work on projects together kind of work together. So, you know, if you're working on what you'll be working away and there'll be another guy, you know, four to six feet away from you working on the same project, and if you, ha- if you said, hey, listen, I'm stuck on this particular thing, then you can sit down, you can sort of discuss it, or if there's some sort of architecture question that we need to sort of debate about we'll you know gather as a, as a clump maybe qa will come over and and we'll talk about a particular issue and how we want to handle it and you know what we're kind of seeing and that kind of stuff and you know for stand-ups we sometimes we actually stand physically in the same room but a lot of a lot of our workers are remote like there's different offices in different large cities in canada that call in on a on a stand-up and and so you know they'll bring up the job board on a shared pc and we'll kind of all sort of see it there on the big you know hdtv you know thing on the wall right 
um, and talk about stuff. So, but I like it because, you know, I can work independently and zone, zone out and, and just focus on the code. But if I do get stuck, I can reach over to somebody else and say, Hey, what do you think about this? And, and whether they know about it or not, you know, and you can get up from your desk and you can go like across the building to the guy who's working on like the, you know, maybe, maybe so UI guy working on UI code, you can go talk to him about some challenges you're having. So it's kind of handy from that perspective to be able to get, we've talked about this before on the show. I think, I think Jaime's brought it up and Mark's brought it up in that you've got someone you can actually go and physically talk to about an issue and, and bounce ideas off. It's a lot faster than, I think you're finding that now with Slack, right? With the group you're working with that you can actually have discussions with people about things virtually, right? That's right. Yeah. So do you know how big is your team, the team you're on? Uh, there are four iOS developers on the team, and uh, there's also an Android team, a web team, and project managers, mm-hmm. the whole kit and caboodle. So, so how, uh, so how, like, how just, how, I mean, how far apart are you guys? Like, you're here in Whiskey, you are yeah, the other guys. There's one guy in, a couple guys in Colorado, uh, some, but I think most everyone else is in, is on site in California. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And so, so the project managers and, and the... Yeah. So they have, and, uh, they use Google Hangouts. We have our stand-ups three times a week, and uh, we call in on video. So we have, we can see pictures, we can see each other's faces, and we have mm-hmm. a stand-up meeting, which lasts generally no more than 10 minutes, where we just go around and right. yeah. update each other. So, um, yeah, it's it's really smooth and efficient. Uh, it works very well, I think. But, uh, do yeah, you again, like a, do you like a, you have like a scrum master kind of person that manages the, the stand up and yeah. that kind of stuff or project manager? Yeah. 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 And how long are your sprints? Do you do sprints? Two weeks, two weeks sprints. It's, yeah, it's a talk- system that works. <laughs> uh, it, did I ever mention mob programming? No. I don't think that, so. Does that, not, does that not come up? Is that where show? people sit on Aaron and they program? <laughs> no, no. Like uh, this, uh, Aaron, I think if you didn't. Like, if you don't feel comfortable with, like, a pair programming one, I, I know that mob programming is even less for you. Um, oh, fantastic. Tell me more. But it's, it, it was an interesting <laughs> thing. We experimented with it. We found some pros and cons. But the, the real basic idea is you have a, a mob, like an actual group of people trying to knock out something, right? Whatever. Let's, you know, if you're in an agile with Scrum environment, you take your, your number one story and you get all the parties that are involved. So let, let's use a mobile app as an example. You get your your front end developers, your back end developers, um, your product manager or product owner, depending on your environment, and you're there as a group. There's a singular keyboard, and there's you know like a couple of projectors, ideally, so oh you can God. everybody oh can God. see what's going on. Oh my and God. You're just there. You're hammering that thing out, right? I'm having a panic intense, attack. It was an intense day. It was. Totally necessary. Somebody get him get, a paper like, bag. <laughs> Go ahead. It, it has a lot of benefits, and you, and you trade off, right? It's it. You can be very strict and have like a ten to fifteen minute timer where whoever the driver is, you you swap out as soon as things go. But it's it's almost like pair programming on steroids, where you're getting constant feedback that's making the code better. So you kind of really don't need code review as even you would do less of in a pair programming mm. environment, right? Mm. Like, well, you've already found these issues. I've already made sure that things were going to make sense. And it's, it's, I'll say, you know, on paper, it's a very expensive thing because you have no kidding. a fair <laughs> group of folks. It's like, wait a minute, I have five developers. Why can't I have five parallel lines of work? And I think mm. the hypothesis here is like, well, one, you will shortcut a lot of the 
you know, waste that comes from, huh, I don't know the answer to this question. I can either stop what I'm doing or make a best guess, continue forward, and then asynchronously at some later point realize that I can talk to somebody and find out that I did the wrong thing. Now I got to go roll back what I did and redo it. You can reduce um, scope or clarify questions with your product manager, for example, because they're there to say, hey, don't worry about that. that that'll be in v.next. Don't worry about that. We'll, we'll take care of that in five years. You know, <laughs> or, oh, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. We, like, I actually do want you to take care of that case. Okay, well, great. It's good we didn't deliver effectively broken software because we had somebody to say this was super important, even though it wasn't called out anywhere. Um, mm. But my God, I mean, I mean, there must be huge gaps where there are certain people on that team that have no purpose for being there, right? Well, ideally, they're just going to sit there and watch you type, watch you program. Ideally, you would um, you would feel like you have a safe environment where you're you're free to come and go as you leave. Like in this scheme, it, it doesn't really work okay. otherwise, right? Like you, the main focus is you know, delivering like the right information at the right time in the right way. If that means that you're kind of like, you know, things are in the background for you, right? So this is a very developer-centric thing. So from a product perspective, like right. when you tell the developers are going out into the nitty-gritty of like, well, does this is this really restful? Is this really the way that the JSON or protobuf should work? Could we design it? Like, that's not going to matter to a product person, right? So they can kind right. of back away. But when they hear, you know, oh, maybe we should make it do this. And it's like, whoa, no, hold on. That the customer is not going to expect that, right? And they, and they can kind of multitask a little bit, you know, doing whatever it is that, that product people do separately, right? Like arranging your whatever backlog it is. or working <laughs> with design. You know, I'm not a product manager, so I don't know for certain, right? I'm kind of guessing here. And, and even from a developer standpoint, it's the same sort of thing, right? Where um, obviously as a mobile developer, I'm very, very interested in the, the, con- the interface contract between the front end and the back end. But when things dip into the, okay, well, how are we going to, get this part of the service to talk to this other part of the database. Okay. I can kind of wane away a little bit. It kind of refresh myself a little bit, but okay, I got to take care of some of this backlog of email and then come back into it when it's time to deal with the mobile aspect again. Yikes. Again, it's not, it's not for every problem. Um, it, it has the benefit of you know, spreading um, knowledge and not making, you know, people who are new to the team, they, they, they get a better idea of, of how the team works, how the code works. They also don't get kind of left out in the cold, right? Because your senior people are almost certainly going to know the most of, uh, you know, bridging that gap between like the the strategic executive level and sort of like the normal day to day developer worker bee level. Uh-huh. And it's also kind of on the, the 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 con side. It's not for every problem, right? If you wanted to have a hey, we want a new menu on the iOS apps, like well. For one, we probably don't need the backend team here, nor do we necessarily even need the Android team, right? Unless it was a preview for them. They kind of want to see what they're going to do next week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I think you kind of just <laughs> pick the right tool for the job, right? Sometimes you need a sledgehammer and sometimes you need a scalpel, depending on what you're trying to do. So you actually did this at your workplace. And how long did uh, did it last? It was it was about a day, I think. Um, <laughs> we didn't really actually have the, the, the Super successful. Yeah. But, like, in that one day, we actually got done, and again, it was the first time, and we didn't have all the equipment set up, so we kind of had to spend some time arranging things so everybody could just see the IDE, right? Like, the Xcode, AppCode, and PyCharm are just really not made to do 
presentation mode where you can actually really see the file oh, yeah. system level. They're meant for look at these five lines of code. And it's like, that's fantastic. We also want to see the package structure over here. Right. So again, it took about a day, but it got like a real super critical thing done that we could have easily spent several days back and forth saying, oh, this part didn't work or, oh, I didn't understand what you meant here. I, I had a different interpretation in my head. So again, it's not for, for every sort of thing. I think it's for those, this has to be done correctly and we must get this done in the sprint sort of things. Scares the hell out of me, man. Okay. <laughs> You've been through a lot of very interesting experiences, Jaime Lopez Jr. I've had a, a weird and wonderful life in software development. <laughs> How long have you been in software development, Tommy? Let's see. I will count it since 2004, so it'll be 12 years. 12 years this summer. So what did you do before you did uh, iOS? Immediately prior, I was a web developer. Who wasn't, um, eh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. What language is rewriting in, though? So primarily Java for the, you know, generating templates. and, and all He sorts said of Java. Things that, like, that struts. Did Java. you say Java or Java? Java. He said Java. Java? Java. 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 Hmm. Like the coffee and the island. Yeah. That's how I'm saying it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to go uh, there anymore. It's embarrassing. Um, and the, the front end part was, was all <clears throat> JavaScript and, <laughs> and primarily jQuery because that was the hotness to make you multi, multi-browser. Hey, what does jQuery stand for again? What do you... I don't think it's an acronym. I think it's lowercase J and then capital Q <laughs> query. I think he's trying to mock you. Oh, maybe it's JSON. I'm thinking, what's JSON's name for again? JavaScript object to... notation. Just to say Java again. Said it again. Said it again. Just wants to say Java. Okay. Make your plans now to come to Nashville, Tennessee and attend the best tech conference being held this year. Indie Dev Stock isn't just about learning the latest Apple frameworks or how to program in Swift. Indie Dev Stock is about making connections. Our speakers will share their stories, experiences, and ideas with you. Through their words, you'll gain a better understanding of the challenges indies face and, more importantly, how to overcome them. It doesn't matter if you're currently a successful indie developer, just starting out, or trying to decide if going indie is right for you. We're all in this together. In addition to the inspiration talks, you'll also have an opportunity to attend hands-on tech talks to help level up your skills. During this two-day event, not only will you get to experience Southern hospitality at its finest, but you'll also get to hear some of the best live music around while enjoying all Nashville has to offer. For more information and to buy your ticket, go to www.indiedevstock.com. We hope to see you there. Gee whiz, Tim! Uh, you have to get going, right? Should I we do. Uh, I blast through the picks or what? Yeah, we should. We should. Uh, How early is your flight? Sorry, it's uh, six forty-five. Holy Mackinac! Yeah. Well, the uh, museum of the the um, uh, National Air and Space Museum in Dulles Airport opens at ten a.m. and that's where the team is meeting up. And so I just happen to be flying into Dulles, so it all works out good. So, yeah. <laughs> 
Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so I'll be half asleep editing the podcast. All right, so let's go around the table like we usually do and see if anybody has any picks, and we'll stop at Aaron Bay oh and we'll see if he has a pick. we got to really change our shtick, you know that? <laughs> okay, you will stop at Jaime Lopez and see No, it. that's not what I mean. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, never mind, I'll do my pick. So I just this week uh, ordered and received a brand new book. And it's actually made out of paper. I'm holding it in my hand. It's real, mm-hmm. baby. It's as real as a heart attack. And it's this written by book, the Windows guy? Mm, I don't know. Who is the Windows guy? John Hoffman. It is John Hoffman. <laughs> He's the Windows guy? I don't think it's the same guy. You know? I don't no, know. No. Let me see. Like, I've got... It says... He's been oh, no, I'm thinking John Hoffman. Sorry, sorry. I got the John Hoffman. Sorry. sorry. All right, fine. My bad. Yeah, you're, you're bad. You're really distracting me here and interrupting, Tim. I'm trying to get my business conducted here so you can go to bed and go to the airport. Okay, let me get back on topic here. Protocol-Oriented Programming with Swift. It's a brand new book written by John Hoffman, not the Windows guy. I don't know who that is. And it takes you through the whole principles of developing in Swift with protocol-oriented techniques. So this is uh, kind of what happened when Apple introduced Swift 2 last WWDC and had that very influential one-hour talk about protocol-oriented programming where they went so far as to say Swift is a protocol-oriented language as opposed Uh to an object-oriented language. And so this book is the first thing I've been able to find that takes what was sort of introduced in that video and runs with it at book length. Now, this book, I've only just received it today. I've read chapter one. And uh, there's only like eight chapters in this book. It's less than 200 pages, so it's a pretty, um, theoretically, a quick read. So it takes you through the whole process of how to rethink your programming uh, to use protocols. And it's, from what I've read so far, it isn't about rejecting object-oriented programming. It's knowing the strengths and weaknesses of both and where to apply um, those, those principles. So... In the first chapter, uh, which I did read this evening, he is talking quite in depth about both the differences between object-oriented and protocol-oriented programming, but also, and sort of hand-in-hand with this, is the ideas of reference types and value types, uh, Mm -hmm. which sort of accompany object-oriented and and protocol-oriented programming. And so um, if you think along those axes of objects and references and protocols and value types, then... Um, these are sort of the, the frame of mind that he's putting you in as he goes deeper into the book. So if you're interested in this kind of programming and you know you're, you want to kind of get stay up to date, really, with the way things are going, or if you're on a project like I am where the other team members have drank all the Kool-Aid and are ordering <laughs> more in, and <laughs> um, then you need a book like this, Protocol Oriented Programming with Swift. And uh, it's about $30, I guess. If you're in the States, then uh, it's pretty straightforward to buy. If you're in Canada, you're going to pay a little extra for shipping and you know, currency conversion, et cetera, et cetera, because somehow not available directly in Canada. Um, otherwise, nice small book. Go get it. Cool. My work here is done. <laughs> yeah, I like how Aaron gave us like, spoilers for Chapter 1, where one of the headings is, the winner is on object-oriented versus protocol-oriented. So. What, you have the book? No, like, 
And that's my point. I'm like, oh, spoilers. Like, you, you just told us, like, apparently there is no clear winner. This isn't Godzilla versus King Kong. No, it's not. It's not. It's like, oh, they, they come to an agreement and realize there's pros and cons. Oh, Actually, it's man. funny. I'm Here, I flipped to that very page. Let me read you this because you'll, you'll laugh, Jaime. Um, you know, when who's the winner? Object or protocol-oriented programming? He says, the winner's the programmer, <laughs> where we have the choice of using different programming paradigms rather than being limited to just one. <laughs> Jaime, you're the winner. <laughs> <laughs> the winner is you is that what the winner saying? is yeah. you exactly so far so good a good first chapter i mean do you have any picks i do and it's an article uh, a blog post on medium by dhh the creator of ruby on rails david um, hennemeyer hansen sorry david hennemeyer hansen wow that is really fast yes that is that is correct uh, 37 <laughs> signals and base camp are probably other uh, bits of his work that you happen to know Huh. In this case, it's an article about the majestic monolith. So what is that? Well, let's think about where people have been talking about software design or system design, right? Right now, everything is all about microservices, right? So monolith was sort of like the old way. You had one big giant web application, let's say here as an example, for your back end and it just did everything from touching the database to logging people in to saving favorites and so mm-hmm. on and so forth and there was a change away from that kind of very similarly like uh, object-oriented programming a protocol-oriented programming where people say whoa hold on i need to have massive scale if one part of my overall service goes down i want to still be able to service people right so if you're if you're in netflix for example and i've, I've actually seen this myself they have a very heavily microservice oriented piece where you know logging on for example is is one service finding your recommendations is another service and finding your playlist is a different service and finding your like your favorite items that you've like you know saved for later sort of thing is like a totally different service and if any one of those goes down and and i've personally seen this as i'm using my roku i'm like huh how come I don't have any of the items that I saved? Oh, well, at least I can still browse and watch videos, right? Like the service continued <laughs> to, to function. It wasn't like, whoops, we got to bring down the entirety of Netflix because the favoriting system is, is broken. So that's kind of the case here. The, the basic idea is that most people have sort of decided like, oh, monolith, that's old. You know, that's, that's for old cranky people. That's not what we want to do. That's, that's, that's crazy. That's, that's caveman talk. Microservice is worth it. If you're not using a microservice, by golly, you're brain dead. And this article takes a totally different take where it's like, well, hold on. Um, Distributed computing is really hard. And if you don't have the kind of problems that distributing computing is intended to solve, then you're really just making a lot of pain for yourself for being trendy and sexy. So he takes Basecamp as an example of the majestic monolith where they sort of intentionally kept things together as one discrete piece that is easy to revamp and move forward without having to have huge coordination pieces like oh my gosh are we going to use http is it json is it protobuf it's like for heaven's sakes um we just want to be able to get the user's name here so we can display it on this page <laughs> right it's kind of kind of the gist of the article. the article is really good it describes how you know they've got a small team they have things available on multiple platforms and and they've been very successful right as, as a company so kind of the same flavor of this episode of like kind of depends what kind of tool you need so 
you know, don't don't just follow blindly like you know the majestic monolith or microservices or, or protocol-oriented programming or object-oriented programming, functional programming. You know, learn them all if you can. Ideally, like that just makes you more well-rounded. It's like knowing you know more cultures or more languages or having more skills in like, hey, I can do music and I can do you know athletics, all sorts of things to just be like a better person, right? In this case, more practically, I think you can be a better developer by saying, well, hold on, let's think critically or are we having the same kind of problems that Netflix is? Mm, maybe, or not really, or actually, probably totally, not. Yes, right. Like Amazon <laughs> and Netflix have very similar problems. They have huge scale. Um, uh, a startup that is just like trying to get something off the ground for MVP. Somebody who might come by and say, "Oh my gosh, five thousand dollars for an app." It's like, well, <laughs> you really probably don't need microservices, right? Like you need mm-hmm. something uh, very simple that you can get off the ground and see if you can get some funding. Very different kind of problem. It's awesome. I've, I've been a big follower of David Hennerhire Hansen for many, many years, obviously, since the advent of Rails. And um, that's his example case, really. Like, So they built Basecamp. Basecamp was originally the – it was the instigator of the Ruby on Rails web framework. So it was built with Rails and Basecamp – Sorry, I'll put it around. <laughs> Rails was built with Basecamp, so they go hand in hand. So this is like the number one use case for web application frameworks. And uh, he's a very smart guy. I, uh, I And I totally agree with what he's saying. There's just no way that microservices make sense for anybody but the largest people. And so um, I love it. Good. Go. <laughs> I also like his little illustration here at the beginning. And it's a six-minute read according to... Well, they would know because everybody yeah. reads at the same pace. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, I don't have a pick this week. Attaboy, Tim. You're getting on a plane. My pick is RWDeadCon. Attaboy. <laughs> is it in Washington, D.C.? It's actually across the Potomac. It's in Alexandria, which is right where it's just literally across the, the river. So. All right. I think it's kind of like um, what's kind of like Hall and, and Ottawa. You know how they're kind of connected, but they're not really connected. It's all Gatineau now, Tim. Get with the program. Is it all Gatineau? Really? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I've never been I to really the district. I really misheard that because I thought you said Holland, like no, the Netherlands. No, he said Hull. Hull. And Hull, Quebec. Ottawa. Hull. Hull. Mm. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, I've never been to uh, Washington, D.C. I would love to go. I hope you uh, get the chance to see the wonderful museums they have there. Okay, Tim, let's button her up. you got to go to bed. Yeah. So, hey, Aaron, hey, if people hey, want to get Tim. a hold of you on the interweb, uh, what would they do and how would they do that? Oh, my God. What a great question. I never saw that coming, but I can recover and tell you to go to twitter.com slash Aaron Vey and you can learn all you can about me. All righty, then. And uh, Jaime, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? On Twitter as at Deva the Hair. Once again, my name is Timitra. I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter, and that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. And uh, that's it. We'll see you guys next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. You've just experienced the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you'll find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, picks for the episode, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website and write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. 
If you'd like to support the show, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.